0: Our scripture passage today is found in Exodus 10 and 11. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness to be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the people of Israel had light where they lived. Then Pharaoh called Moses and said, Go, serve the Lord. Your little ones also may go with you. Only let your flocks and your herds remain behind. But Moses said, You must also let us have sacrifices and burnt offerings, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our livestock also must go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind, for we must take of them to serve the Lord our God. And we do not know with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. Then Pharaoh said to him, Get away from me, take care never to see my face again, for on the day you see my face, you shall die. Moses said, As you say, I will not see your face again. The Lord said to Moses, Yet one plague more I will bring upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will drive you away completely." "'Speak now in the hearing of the people, "'that they ask every man of his neighbor "'and every woman of her neighbor "'for silver and gold jewelry. "'And the Lord gave the people favor "'in the sight of the Egyptians. "'Moreover, the man Moses was very great "'in the land of Egypt, "'in the sight of Pharaoh's servants "'and in the sight of the people. "'So Moses said, "'Thus says the Lord, "'About midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt, "'and every firstborn in the the land of Egypt shall die. "'From the firstborn of Pharaoh, "'who sits on his throne,' And after that, I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you, that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the people of Israel go out of his land.
1: Amen. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Father and our God this morning your people are gathered in the name of Jesus and as we are gathered, we long to hear your word. We long to know your truth, we long to know you. We long to be taught by you, we long to be guided by you and we long we long to, So be captivated by who you are that we are shaped and transformed by your word and your spirit at work in us. Father, would you teach us and would you help us today? We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. I want to thank all of you for being with us this morning. It's really good uh, to see all of your faces. If you um, haven't already, please take your Bible and turn uh, to the book of Exodus in chapter 10, uh, which is <clears throat> what Emmy just read for us. Uh, here at Redeemer, uh, if you're our guest, thank you for being with us. Uh, we are studying through the book of Exodus, and the, the overarching um, <clears throat> truth of the book of Exodus is that the one true God saves his people, and he alone saves them. And so as we've worked our way through the book of Exodus, we're now coming and we now are in a section of the story known as the 10 plagues. And these are 10 divine acts where God is moving Pharaoh to let his people go. The goal of these plagues is that God's people would be delivered to worship and serve God in God's place. <clears throat> this is the this is the heartbeat behind these plague stories. It's what the Lord wants. And um, so what we've been doing over the last few weeks is we've been thinking about the first nine of these plagues. Um, so that's chapter 7, 8, 9, and 10. We've been thinking about the first nine of these plagues. Um, and rather than just kind of saying plague one, sermon, plague two, sermon, plague three, sermon, which would have basically been a lot of very similar sermons. Uh, We're kind of thinking about all nine of these together. And so today's sermon is entitled, It's Time. It's time. It's time for what? It's time for the final judgment to fall upon Pharaoh. And it's time for God's people to be delivered. So what... What we are going to see in this coming 10th plague is is God definitively saving and delivering his people from the hands of Pharaoh. Now, before we leave these plague stories and move into um, Passover and redemption and grace and mercy and forgiveness, I think it's really important that, that we not forget this standing truth. And this is the one that I want to really hone in on us today. It is a dangerous place to stand in opposition to the living God. It's a dangerous place to stand in opposition to the living God. And if we don't take that from these plague narratives then I'm afraid the weightiness of them has not settled upon us the way that it should. I would also add where the story is going. is there is no safer place to stand than as a child of God in the presence of God. And the way these plays are unfolding is going to drive both those truths home to us. And I want us to see them today. So, if you're one who likes to take notes, um, the first point this morning is is no more deliberation. No more deliberation. And and on this first point, we're going to look particularly at chapter 10, verses 21 through 29, which in your Bibles is, is labeled as the ninth plague. So the ninth plague begins by the Lord telling Moses to stretch out his hand toward heaven. And the Lord brought darkness over all the land. Now, when it says total darkness, that means no sun, no moon, no stars. And for we moderns, most importantly, no electricity for three days. Total darkness for three days. Except among the Israelites. The Israelites had light where they lived. So in this plague, the Lord is showing his power. And he is showing by having light in some places and no light in other places that this is no mere phenomenon of nature. It is a divine act from the hand of Almighty God to prove to Pharaoh that he must let God's people go. Now, vivid in most of our memories, what was this, two years ago? The, the, the total eclipse that came to this part of America? It was cool because it lasted for about eight minutes, right? But imagine if that came to everywhere except this one little place that God said it wasn't going to come in the middle of all the darkness and that place had light. It's the light in the midst of the darkness that's the inexplicable reality. And so the Lord is accomplishing through this plague. He's showing that it's no mere phenomenon of nature. It's him at work. And he's showing that, that these plagues are discriminatory, meaning that he makes a distinction between the people of Pharaoh and the people of God. And the passage explicitly says that. <clears throat> but that in and of itself is not unique to the plague stories. This has happened on numerous occasions. Not the darkness, but the fullness of plague with the distinction among the people of Israel. What is unique about this ninth plague is it brings Pharaoh to the end of his own abilities to negotiate a peace treaty with God. Up until this point, Pharaoh has moved from, I don't know who God is, I'm in the position of power, who do you think you are? To trying to negotiate a peace treaty on his terms that causes him the least amount of collateral damage possible. To now, I'm done, get away from me, I never want to see your face again. Now what's interesting is I use the word deliberation is it's not much of a deliberation because God has been unmoving. Let my people go that they may serve me. Yeah, what about? Let my people go that they may serve me. Yeah, what about? Let my people go that they may serve me. Yeah, what about? And this deliberation amongst Pharaoh has moved in chapter five, verse two, where Pharaoh says, who is God? God. To the third plague in chapter eight, Pharaoh's sorcerers and magicians around him going, Hey, this thing might be of God because we can't replicate it. To the fourth plague, chapter eight, verse 25, where Pharaoh says, Okay, 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 I'll let you go, but you got to stay within Egypt. God says, no, let my people go that they may serve me. To the eighth plague, Exodus chapter 10, verses 8 through 11, where Pharaoh says, okay, I'll let you go, but you got to leave your children behind. No, we're, we're taking everybody. When I say let my people go, I mean let my people go. To the ninth plague, Exodus chapter 10, where we're reading now, okay, you can go and your young ones can go, but just leave the cows. Now, friends, I just want to be really honest. I don't understand the fascination with the cattle in these four chapters of the Bible, but they play a pretty prominent role. And Pharaoh wants the cattle. And God says, no, my people are going. They're going in total And they're taking their possessions with them because they're not coming back. And the Lord is unrelenting. And now, as we get to the end of this narrative, Pharaoh is finally done as well. Verses 28 and 29, Pharaoh says to Moses, get away from me. Take care never to see my face again. For on the day you see my face, you shall die. Moses says, as you say, I will not see your face again. So the ninth plague ends like this. God is speaking his word clearly and definitively. And Pharaoh will not listen. He will not obey. And he is standing in opposition to God. Now, this moves... Immediately into chapter 11. In the story of the Passover. It moves immediately into chapter 11. In the story of. Pharaoh and all of Egypt's firstborn dying. As a means of God's firstborn Israel being delivered. But before we go into the details of that. Let's just pause and consider this point. Pharaoh is boldly. Declaring himself to stand in opposition to God and God's word. And I just want us to pause. And to say, that is a dangerous posture. It's a dangerous posture. So let's think about that. What would it look like for us to stand in opposition to God and God's word? Well, the scripture makes this very clear. That all humans, since the beginning of time, since our first parents, Adam and Eve, have been born sinful. We've been born with the nature of sin and rebellion. The scripture goes further. We are born enemies of God. We're born dead in our sin. We're born as those who don't hear and yield to and submit to the word of the Lord and to the Lord himself. So what the testimony of the rest of the scripture would tell us is that we are actually born like Pharaoh as enemies of God. The scripture goes further and it says that God sent his only son Jesus into the world. To live and to die and to rise again, that enemies may be made friends, even more than friends, children of God. And so the scripture would tell us that the only way to move from enemy to friend of the Lord is to repent and believe in Jesus for salvation. So I want to say this as gently as I can, but yet as clearly as I can. To reject Christ is to be an enemy of God. To reject Christ is to stand in opposition to God. And this Exodus narrative tells us that that is a dangerous place to stand. that's where you are today, uncertain about Jesus, uncertain about the faith, uncertain about where you stand before God, I want you to remember something that was said way back at the beginning of this service. That doesn't have to define you forever. At least that was said at the beginning of the first service. Was that said at the beginning of this service, too? We can repent and we can believe and we can be changed and we can be delivered. We can move into a relationship of acceptance and belonging in the presence of God through the blood of Jesus. So I want to invite you to consider him today. I want to invite you to come to him today. I would love to help you do that. Now, but I don't want to stop there. Because if we're born enemies of God, and if Jesus died to make us sons of God, daughters of God, children of God, then the scriptures would teach us and it would make sense from reason that he died to change us from those who walk in opposition and and unyielding to acceptance and yielding to the word and the will and the ways of the Lord. And so what I want to cry out to us as the church is, let us not be like Pharaoh while we claim to belong to God through the blood of Jesus. When the Lord speaks, let us stop and hear and believe and obey I want my life and my family's life and your lives and your family's lives and our church to be characterized by those who hear the word of the Lord. And when we hear it, we stop and we receive it and we believe it and we obey it. I want us to be known for that. And friends, God speaks to us today, primarily through his word. At the core, the church of Jesus are God's people gathered around God's word empowered by God's Holy Spirit. And what I want for my life and for all of us is to be a people who are gathered around the word, empowered by the spirit to glorify God and to be known for hearing and receiving and believing and obeying. Let that characterize us. Let us not just be children of God and friends of God and label only, but those who move where the Lord's moving, who follow Jesus where Jesus is going and are shaped by the word of God. Now, friends, that's really easy to write down on a piece of paper. but I want that to be the movement of who we are. Would you just simply pray, Lord, would you cause me to be a person who hears and receives and believes and responds to your word in all places, at all times, in all circumstances? Would you pray for God to help you with that? Like I said, it's a pretty easy commitment to make on a Sunday morning at church. But what about tomorrow night at about 11, 15 p.m. when you want to claw the eyes of one of your family members out? And they probably want to claw yours out. God's word has a lot to say to that. Will we stop and receive it and believe it and obey it? What about when you get to work tomorrow morning and you have that email from your boss that was sent intentionally to be there as soon as you opened up your computer? Makes your blood pressure go to unhealthy places. What about when you leave here this morning you're trying to turn right on Bonita Parkway and somebody thinks it's the Autobahn and they're going 70 miles an hour and laying on the horn at you? And those are the crucibles that show us how much we're willing to receive God's word and how much we just want what we want, when we want it, how we want it. Church of Jesus, let's be the people who yield to Jesus. I think that's why he died, to redeem us. Second point, final act. What's going on in chapter 11? God is preparing Moses, Israel, and Pharaoh for what is to come. If this were a play, the final act is beginning. The back and forth between God and Pharaoh is over. and So what we see in verses 1 through 3 is God speaking directly to Moses. Verses 4 through 9, God speaking directly to Pharaoh. And then God's people getting ready for the action that is to come. So in chapter 10, Pharaoh's closed down his side of the dialogue and the deliberation. And so we're moving to the last plague. It's important for us to remember that this last plague doesn't catch God off guard. God knew this was coming. Exodus chapter 4, verse 22 and 23. Before all the plagues began, God told Moses, You shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, Let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. Pharaoh has not relented, and it's time for this final act. So in verses 1 through 3, God is preparing his people for the final act. The first thing he tells them is that this will be the last plague. Now, I'm just going to go ahead and raise your hand for all of you. We all skip over this, but remember all of our Bibles tell us over here in the side that that, that it's the 10 plagues. And as we come to every plague, it says first plague, second plague, third plague, fourth plague. So like good scientific modern Westerners, we read sixth plague and we go, there's 60% there. You can do it. Stand in there. But here's the thing. The number 10 was not prominently spoken to the people of Israel. What they got was Pharaoh's going to have a hardened heart and he's not going to listen. And the, and the last one will be death of a firstborn son. But they were having to walk by faith step by step through that. So God begins by saying, this will be the last plague. He's giving them in this first verse the certainty that we have as we read the whole story because we know the end from the beginning. And then he instructs them. He says, after the plague, not only will Pharaoh let you go, he's going to push you out. He's going to be like, get out of here. And then the Lord, in a very strange way, says, I'm going to provide everything you need for what's about to happen. He says, I tell you what, today I want you to go, every one of you, to your neighbor. And I want you to ask them for silver and gold jewelry. And they're going to give it to you. All right, so all y'all go home, knock your neighbor's door, ask them for a cup of sugar. We got like an 80% success rate. 10% are mean, 10% just don't have any sugar, but everybody else would give you some. Maybe I live in a hard neighborhood, maybe it's 90, but, but you get the point. The Lord says, look, not only am I gonna show my power and my providential sovereignty over all things by tearing down a king and a kingdom, but I'm going to move the hearts of masses into generosity for the good of my people. I'm going to move masses of people when you go and knock on their door and say, hey, can I have some silver and gold jewelry for them to say, sure, and give it to you. And in so doing, you will be prepared for the journey. So people, the last plague's coming. You're leaving Egypt and you will have all you need for the journey. Now to Pharaoh, verses 4 through 9, God says very clearly. Okay, now if you're an astute reader of the Bible, you you would say, okay, I thought in 1029 Moses and Pharaoh agreed to not see each other again. So what's going on in verse 4? Most commentators would believe that Moses still hasn't left Pharaoh's presence here from verse 29. Because notice at the end of this, in verse 9, Moses is headed out in hot anger. So, in preparation, God says to Pharaoh, death of the firstborn son is coming to all the people of Egypt. No family will be spared. Death of the firstborn, excuse me, is coming to all of Egypt. No family will be spared. At the end of this, there will be no death amongst God's people. And Pharaoh will send messengers and say, all of you get out, we're done. This wonder will be done. And then in verse 10, Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the people of Israel go out of his land. So Moses and Aaron have left the presence of Pharaoh, and the last plague is underway. Now, this last plague is called the Passover, This Passover story of death of the firstborn son as God delivers his people with blood spread on doorways is a key pivotal piece of the biblical history that helps us understand God's salvation in great ways. We will spend weeks in this Passover narrative because it is that important. What I want you to know today Is that the salvation of God's people only comes from the hand of the Lord himself. And the salvation of God's people comes through the provision of the Lord himself. And the salvation of God's people comes in the way of the Lord himself. So our invitation and our posture as the church of Jesus Christ is to see Jesus as the final Passover lamb who takes away the sin of the world and to say our salvation too only comes from the Lord and our salvation also only comes in the way of the Lord and we are to look to no one alone no one except Jesus alone to be our deliverer from sin and death let's be the people of Jesus with hearts changed by Jesus who hear and receive the word of Jesus and walk by faith and obedience for the glory Jesus let's be those people by the power of the spirit and let's pray to that end so our father and our God we thank you for who you are we thank you for your goodness and your kindness and your mercy we pray today that you would take these words and you would work them into the hearts and the minds and in the lives of your people. We pray all this and ask all this now in Jesus' name. Amen.